Welcome to another episode of Talking Force. Today we have a special guest in Coach Kirsten. Trent Kirsten, we met um, a few few months back um, while you were at uh, San Jose, uh, and now you're currently at LMU in um, Los Angeles as the head volleyball coach, and you are the first sport coach that we've had on the podcast, so welcome. All right, breaking down barriers already. Let's go. Let's go. So for everyone <laughs> um, you know who's interested in hearing your backstory, could you just tell us a little bit about your story, both as a player, your trip through college, and then also how did you get to where you're at today? Yeah. Uh, so I think that is important to note, like my dad was a coach. So very naturally, um, he coached volleyball and basketball. And obviously, I wanted zero to do with that as a high schooler growing up, right? I was like, Nope, that's your thing. I'm not going to do it. You're going to have to drag me to tryouts. Like, I don't want to do it. Sure enough, drag me to tryouts. Loved it. You know, <laughs> really, really got into it. Uh, but was pretty awful. Um, and in men's volleyball, there's, you know, club and you have kind of first team, second team, third team, uh, and women's volleyball, there's like 10 of those. Right. But boys, like you're lucky if you had two or three, I was on third of three growing up. Like I was the tall kid that couldn't figure it out. Right. Um, and so decided that it was really important to me and, um, dove into the processes a little bit more and took training a little bit more serious and, uh, eventually begged my way onto the roster at UCLA, like literally called and begged and emailed and emailed and emailed. Uh, got there. I was the 49th out of 50 guys on the roster, um, which is insanely huge for a men's volleyball program. Um, and just happened to like start figuring some things out for myself, you know, and work my way up. Um, was asked to come back for uh, a winter break training. And then back then we had like a curtain separating the B side from the A side. And uh, and then after that uh, winter block training, I, I never went behind the curtain uh, after that. So uh, then I had a, my coach retired, Al Skates, uh, retired after 50 years. He won 19 national championships, um, and, uh, got lucky enough to get an amazing new coach in John Spraw, who's our men's national team coach and just kind of fell in love with coaching. Um, prior to that, I think my degree was, uh, or it is environmental studies. So I wanted to like save the environment. Right. You know, and then I got coached by him and um, Brad Keller and Andrea Becker and that whole staff and just fell in love with that process of what it could be. Um, literally drove out to TCU uh, the day after I graduated to start working for free. So you guys can imagine that talk with your folks. You know, it's like, hey, you just got this amazing degree. And now what do you want to do with it? I was like, I want to go work for free in texas <laughs> i'm sure that went over well yeah that was great you, that was great when you but, got there yeah. what did you do what was your role what did they put you in as oh i was just like grinder like i i was coding i was i was uh like um data entry like anything like that that they needed like i just did it and then i would be in the office from you know seven in the morning till six at night and then head to club and that was how i paid the bills at the time and so um yeah, that was kind of my process there. And then got the full-time assistant job there and then became recruiting coordinator at TCU. Um, and then finally uh, got offered the head coaching position at San Jose. And uh, there was an opportunity to come back home for my wife and I. Uh, um, and so that was a big deal. And then we just had, you know, back to back to back kind of super successful years um, and very consistent. And um, this was one of the things that I wanted to dive into. It was about this past year, if you remember that, when we started to really get into the stuff and um, was lucky enough to work with a strength coach who uh, was on board. And I feel like I learned a lot from you guys. I 
uh, learned a lot from the performance and the measuring and um, uh, just internalizing the data and what it actually meant. And at first it's super overwhelming. And then you get to a point, it's like, okay, what three things are really important to me that I can actually have some type of understanding of what they mean, you know? And then, so uh, felt like I learned a lot from the performance side and it helped us again, have the best season in probably over 20 years in San Jose state volleyball history. Yeah. And I want to unpack that a little bit because your journey, as you mentioned, you had Hall of Fame coaches, Coach Skates. You know, we used to joke because uh, in high school, people would talk about that if, you know, Coach Skates came out and offered you, you went. There was no, yeah. there's no if, and, or but. So you have to imagine, I mean, that is a titan um, of history just for the sport, both men and women's um, across the world. And then you go into another coach who wasn't too bad, who's now on the national track. So being exposed to those coaches that had very set ways, I was laughing when you're saying about Coach Skates. I mean, for anyone listening, you just have to envision it was as cutthroat as cutthroat could be. And he was known for, you know, having you'd had to earn your spot every day. And he would toss all Americans, you know, with impunity over to the other side. And you might not see you for four years. And he did not care. And so yeah. he read this ultra competitive environment that obviously the success speaks for itself. But when you saw that contrast, because obviously too, and, and we've talked about this a little bit, coaching has definitely evolved. I won't say changed because sometimes changed infers that it's bad. Um, but it certainly has evolved. And when we got a chance to connect for anyone who doesn't know volleyball is I put it right up there with baseball. As far as the analytics, we know now how to measure service. We know velocity. We know offensive scheme, defensive scheme, three layers of perimeter defense, how they work together. And, and volleyball is unique in that you have three components that are interdependent all the time. And then you have the fourth element of the other team is directly trying to disrupt you. Uh, usually at yeah. 10 and 12 feet in the air. So you have this aerial component. Yeah. You naturally took to force plates and you had had no experience. How, how did you go when you're talking about that? And you, you mentioned your strength coach. You also had an incredible sports medicine staff. How yeah. did you get them to get together? Because we often talk about this, you know, when we're bringing on a new customer client, they might've come from an experience where usually there's one person and they're the data guy or the data gal. And they live in this silo and they can look at the data and say, we're not good, or this isn't where it should be. But you took the data day one and used it as what we hope for with any customers, that it became a language. So could you talk about how did you facilitate those conversations? And more importantly, how did you not hurt feelings, both of your own staff, um, but then also to within the different departments, because that was very unique on how you did that so quickly. Yeah, I mean... Number one, it starts with people, right? Like you got to have the right people at the table um, and you got to have kind of an egoless room um, to be willing to try something new that, hey, I think we can um, provide a better service overall to our student athletes on this end. And I feel like these two things are operating in their own silos right now. And it's like, Hey, like uh, athletic trains over here, string ignitions over here. And yeah, there might be, um, an injury report that we get every week or something like that. But how are we, you know, regularly monitoring, monitoring them and how do we combine these two instead of being in their own silo to just be this United performance team with, you know, our sports specific staff, um, like kind of three pillars, if you will, or the triangle or wh whatever you want to call it, you know, uh, how do we combine and, uh, make sure we're prioritizing the right things at the right um, times for uh, where we are in our training block. Um, and so, uh, egoless people 
super important. Number one, uh, we had Stephanie Andrada and Brandon Schaefer, who were just absolutely incredible um, during this process of learning the language and um, knowing like, hey, these are some yellow flags and they didn't turn into red flags because we were able to communicate ahead of time and interpret the data and say, hey, have you looked at this? Have you tried this? Uh, how is this person feeling? You know, did they just have a midterm and we're up till 2 a.m. a bunch of nights in a row? Do we need to monitor their load? Um, and so there, there's a lot that kind of went into the back end on the communication side. Um, but it starts just by having a very consistent meeting with everyone and saying, hey, like these are what I'm seeing from the plates, you know, having a very uh, real, you know, did we get stronger this week or did we not as a team? You know, and if we didn't, then let's adjust. Let's pivot a little bit. You know, or did we do too much volume so that they weren't able to recover and they weren't able to get stronger? You know, that's a factor in all this as well. And do I need to like, you know, pull the thumb instead of point the finger on the volleyball, the sports specific side? Yeah. And I think what's also interesting is that you did an incredible job incorporating the language in with your players because it was interesting. I remember when we first met, you had said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used plates before. I actually, as a player, I get to use some. And so it was very interesting for me to watch someone who was a player who used it. Who And, and I think you probably had some previous experience that, you know, gave you a perception on how you thought things would go, but you then got by into the players that I, I don't know if necessarily you had that. I think you said before you jump on it and it, it was a number, but it didn't mean much, but I remember multiple members of your staff saying now that the athletes are coming in. So there was in per a purpose and intent that really, I haven't seen driven as fast as you did that. Cause you had that up in several weeks. Yeah. I think quite simply um, as a coach or someone leading a group, like what you measure matters. And so if you're measuring it every day, twice a day, like it obviously matters a whole lot to you. And the other thing is student athletes I've found are happiest when they're getting better. And so this was a very tangible way to say, Hey, the work that we're doing right now, the work that we're putting in um, is working and it's working on a week to week basis. And it's working for a huge number of our team. And if somebody had a down week and the team improved, then that was a different conversation of, Hey, how are you recovering? This is working a little bit differently for everyone else. Like let's evaluate, like how you eating, how you're recovering. Like, what is, what does that look like for you on an individual basis? But then there are also some weeks where we missed on the training a little bit. And whether that was on me, on uh, us not doing an intervention or on us not um, uh, just adapting our, our strength program a little bit, then when, then we would change it the next week and we would uh, only lose a week instead of, you know, a four week training block, uh, which I think people get stuck in planning for four week training blocks and then they don't pivot when the data says, hey, not working right now. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I'd love it if you, what is that conversation? Like, I would love it if you could break that down for a listener because it makes sense. So here's the data, take a look at it. Lines go up. That's good. Lines go down. That's bad. But I also know that you were very aware of mental health and kind of the holistic person you were dealing with. So it wasn't just numbers chasing. You also didn't just say, you know, you had a bad day and then you used it, um, almost like in a punitive manner, you use it as inspirational. Like, what can we do to correct the diet? What can we do to change your output? But if a young coach, sport coach or strength coach is listening, how, how do you go about doing that? Because I do think that was one of your special strengths is you very quickly had a large group of people get on the same page about a number. And which metrics did you guys pick early on? Because I know it would evolve, evolve later on in the season. But what did you start off day one? I'm an athlete. 
came in and I'm sitting with my sport coach to look at these funny things that I jump on that I've never seen before. How did that conversation go? Yeah, I think they're, they're probably most attracted to um, jump height, right? Like everyone wants to know, okay, how high am I jumping? You know, and that becomes very humbling really quickly when, you know, there's a jump mat that's telling you, you jump 36 inches and then you get on plates and you're like, ah, you jump like 21, you know, like that, that was it. <laughs> yep. and, and so uh, you have to get past that a little bit, but then you try and connect just to the power numbers. Um, and so peak propulsive power was something that we looked at. And then there was uh, relative propulsive power, right? Am I wrong with that one? For some of the scouting, I think that was a, a key uh, key metric to look at for some of the players that yeah. had started training. Yeah. And so we try to connect like, hey, these are your power outputs and they're directly correlated to your jump height. And so then they started to become interested in their power. Right. Um, once you had uh, that them kind of convinced like, OK, like this is directly correlated, then then it became a lot easier to talk about power on the plates. Um, and then on the back end, on our end, um, as they continued to jump higher, um, we needed thicker breaking pads. Right. And so that's when all the braking metrics came into play. And um, that's when the interventions with Steph on, you know, Hey, maybe someone's right ankle got tight and I could, I could see like there was something going on in the plates and like, Hey, have you done a, uh, ankle or a hip assessment on this person? And sure enough, like, like Oh yeah. Right ankle, super locked up. Uh, we're, we're training a, a three week training uh, program for this person. And in three weeks they were good to go. And they didn't even realize as, as the student athlete that it was uh, tight or locked up or anything like that. Um, but you started to get ahead of all that stuff be before they became injuries that held them out of training. And I think that's the one of the biggest advantages is like we know if we train for a certain period of time, like we're the expectation for us is like we get better, just like the expectation for a strength coach is, hey, we need to get stronger. Um, if I'm spending an hour of practice on passing a certain way and we're not making any progress, like I think that's a reflection of, hey, what what, what are my feedback loops? How do I train this differently? And if we are getting better than great, let's double down and let's keep going, you know? And so it's all, it's all just really listening to the feedback that the plates and your athletes are telling you. And, you know, uh, and then you spoke on the relationship side at the beginning of your question. And we have to understand that we work with people first, you know, like we're not robots. We're not jumping on the plate and, you know, everything's happy go lucky. And we have a new puppy at home and we went to the beach and all this stuff. Like being a student athlete right now is harder than it's ever been. I know they get more than they've ever gotten, um, but it's harder than it's ever been because class is more competitive. Um, I, I haven't seen a number in the collegiate realm of GPAs going down to get into school. Like they're all going up, you know, and then being a student athlete uh, on the athlete side, like, there's more parity. The game has gotten faster. The game has gotten higher. It is harder to play right now at this level than it ever has been before, especially with the COVID year, to be honest. I think I think that's uh, been a huge benefit to the level that's being played in um, NCAA right now is we have a bunch more experienced players, uh, whether that's you know people transferring for their fifth year or whatever. Um, the level has significantly increased over the past three years. And, and I think you bring up so many good points there and understanding you're dealing with people. And where I get nervous is when people think that the data replaces common sense or the data says, well, the data is always within context. The data is part of the language. It's not the entire sentence. And so how can you go and look? And as you mentioned, sometimes people just had a bad day because guess what? That happens. And 
and understanding to being really focused. You mentioned a couple of those metrics, trying to stay away from that analysis, you know, paralysis by analysis. And we even, I remember the first conversation we had, well, what if the numbers aren't good and we need to go? And I thought we did a really good job of establishing that sometimes you play sports in a suboptimal state, but you have yeah. to be really careful because when you start adding testing, it can almost be a crutch or it can cause a placebo effect the other way of, oh yeah, I guess I am her. I, my ankle is a little tight. And it's like, no, 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 no. That application, even though you put it so simplistically, is so hard to execute, especially day in and day out. Yeah. And I think there's a learning curve on the uh, student athlete side of um, this idea of readiness, right? I think their interpretation is uh, soreness very naturally, right? And, oh man, I can't move. I'm sore. Like it doesn't feel good, you know, all that stuff. And then we get on the plates and you just have, you know, your PR on power that day. And like, Hey, no, you're ready to go. You're ready to train. But usually like the next day when they're actually feeling maybe a little bit better on the soreness side, um, but felt like uh, lethargic or like just like kind of run down. Those are the days that we would need to adjust more than the really, really sore days. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think there's a big misconception. And that's why when we talk about any kind of readiness, it has to be within a composite you yeah. feel like trash is different than that you feel good. And actually that is biomechanically uh, your worst day and vice versa. So having some clarity into that. And I, uh, I also want to ask too, I know you started playing around with some of the jumps where you started looking at warmups, didn't you? And it was yeah. like, you'd expect verticals to be down after practice, but sometimes yeah. they weren't. And then I think, was it a breathing thing or something that you did where I remember you saying the athletes were like, Oh my God, my vert just went up. And it, yeah. I said PR and I was just actually kind of stressed. And I think now you get into nervous system stuff. It really yeah. can be quite eye-opening to someone looking for an edge. Yeah. And I, I think I was, uh, the other piece is like the cueing for the testing, I, I think is very important. Like, I, I think it's really uh, vital to stay consistent in your cueing. So you're not, you know, um, picture old school strength coach let's go. you know like it, that's not really the response you're looking for you're looking for a true metric instead of like a oh, hormone response of flight or flight in that moment right and so I definitely was guilty of that very early because I was just you know all souped up on this thing that I you know this new thing this new toy is like yeah this is awesome you know um, and then we got into uh, some sticky points where uh, we had one student athlete that was stuck at like uh, let's say uh, 14.99 inches for, I don't know, two weeks. Like I'm, I, I, I'm not kidding. The range was like 14.91 to 14.99. And you know how that feels as a student athlete. You're like, you gotta be kidding me, you know? And so we tried something uh, a little different instead of me going, you know, old school, like getting her face. Uh, we tried, uh, Hey, I want you to think about your happiest memory that you have and just feel that for I don't know 15 seconds and close your eyes and then her next jump I swear was like 16.3 like it was unbelievable you know like I, I'd never seen anything work so tangibly you know it was one of my better coaching moments of all time probably you know it was, it was incredible well, people forget about that that game state and when we talk about flow states to actually kind of see some of that to start to process things a little bit differently and we process just standing on the court, the lights, the sounds, your proximity to the net. And especially with volleyball, there's a lot of anticipation. I don't know where that set's going to go. I have to hope that it's somewhere in this vicinity and make yeah. a quick reaction. 
So there's a lot of calculations before the kinetic event, which is the load up and launch and then go in and try to attack this ball and do something with it against another team's block that is trying to stop whatever I was just trying to do. So a lot of mental um, horsepower going on in there. And that's what I think makes the game so interesting. But I'd also like to like take it one step further because you use this in the development. You were so crystal clear early on with what your expectations were. And it was very different because you went pretty heavy. And, and I say heavy, not in max outs, but a very targeted focus in your training program. And a lot of strength coaches I know feel the pressure to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that core strengthening, and then we're going to do mobility and blah, blah, blah. You kind of gave a directive to your strength staff that we're going to get strong and, and yeah. not because we are strong and need to get stronger. We're weak, like baby fawn weak. We need yeah. to get better. How did you go about doing that? Getting a sport that I, I'd probably say volleyball uh, until they get into it. That's not really common because athletes are taller. They don't, most volleyball players don't have an extensive training background in high school in the weight room. How did you get that buy-in? Uh, I mean, a lot of that is credit to our, our strength coach. Um, but I think the structure of it is how do we measure if this is working or not? And the plates gave us that tool on a week to week basis on, are we having success in the weight room or are we not, you know, are we getting stronger or are we not? And if we're not like, let's get on the same page. Like that wasn't a great week from us. And maybe there was some other things going on on a personal level. Like maybe it was midterms for the whole team. And like, yeah, we anticipated being down. The other thing that happened um, last year was we started in-person classes um, just like we were all online and then started in-person classes. And for those next, like at least 10 days, we were way down and had to make major interventions to the on-court stuff. I wasn't willing to sacrifice the weights, but I'm not sure we practiced longer than 30 minutes. And I don't, I'm not sure that we even jumped during those practice because we were so far down, like that increased load of just going to attend class in person was so um, significant that that was our intervention. And clearly after those two weeks, we just leapfrogged again because we didn't overtrain them. And we just listened to the plates, what they were telling us. It was quite, quite simple. Um, and so uh, I, I, I'm telling you like, it, it, hey, this is easy. Just listen to the data, but you have to have the people on board that, okay, like how am I being measured if I'm doing a good job or not? Like, this is how, this is what I wanna see. I wanna see this progress. And if there's red flags, whether it's left, right and balance or counter movement depth or breaking force, then, hey, we have interventions that we can use for um, with our, in combination with our AT. Um, and then uh, the last piece is that we dialed into um, later was what are we doing for recovery uh, on an individual level and how do we keep track of that as far as like a score on a given week um, and I guess the last iteration is talking about ice baths and um, saunas as more of a mental health thing than a recovery thing I think that's a really important switch for today's student athlete because they want to talk about mental health uh, but they're not educated on how uh, an ice bath uh, impacts their hormone regulation in such an unbelievable way or the, the sauna impacts their hormone um, uh, imbalances in such a positive way and so we started to dive into that a bunch and so you know now I'm at LMU and so we're doing this reset and we're kind of like okay like this is what I've learned and then my uh, athletic trainer and my strength coach are awesome right now like they're incredible and they're asking these uh high level questions that i'm going to need you to answer at some point because it's like hey 
I don't know, but we can ask Coach Newman on our next call together. Um, but I love that they're getting into it and um, that we're starting to really uh, be able to move the needle here because um, it's an area that, again, like I want to get better at this spring for sure, going into uh, our season in August. Yeah, and our, our, I mean, our founder's mission was to help people. And so when we talk about facilitating these conversations and whether I have the answer, whether someone in the Hawken family you know, network has an answer, it's been really cool to kind of pull these resources, but see these kind of, you know, things start to happen and evolve. And, and, and you started exploring on your own, and I'm sure you'll continue that at LMU because I never forget the day we had talked about one of the features that we have that people, um, you know, kind of don't necessarily know how powerful it is until you use it is the tagging feature and the grouping feature. I remember I sat in one meeting and I looked at some of the groups. Um, you not only started separating by position, which is what most people would do, say a setter, an outside hitter, maybe break them out by uh, first year, second year, you started looking at diets. You started yeah. looking at protein sources. I was like, what, what's this guy up to? Cause that, that is not standard, but again, you build a product to let the people develop it. And you took it to a whole new level with that. What were some of the things that you started looking at? And then what did you find? Yeah. So the biggest thing was uh meat eater. Oh my gosh. I'm going to get hate for this. If this goes out on social media, it's going to be great. Meat eaters versus vegan. <laughs> And it was very clear meat eaters had a much easier time um, uh, getting stronger, um, faster. And the other thing that was uh, kind of a catalyst was we had about six people that, hey, you know, we had talked to, hey, is this something that you would like uh, to try, like as far as creatine and supplements and stuff like that? And creatine really helped us um, get stronger, faster as well. We started to see some uh, distinct separations between those groups compared to the population as a whole. Um, I think there was a bunch of other groups that I created. I'm, I'm not sure that we actually got anything out of that stuff. Um, but those were the, those were the two major lessons was uh, creatine was an important factor and uh, being a meat eater uh, helped you uh, as well. Yeah. And I think it's important to point out, cause like you said, uh, maybe people might not agree with you, but the, the data spoke for itself, but I want to make uh, a point clear that you actually approached some of the people that for their own personal reasons stayed vegan. And it wasn't that they were tried to be forced off. It wasn't that they were shamed. What they started to realize is what, with that nutritional strategy, they had to make change. And you actually had a very good player stay on that track, but make some modifications. And so I think sometimes when people get nervous, like, Oh my goodness, I don't want to hurt feelings. Well, no, you, you have a small window of time to do something very, very well. If this is the path that you're choosing, here, here's how it's impacting you. And, and again, being told that you need to have more pea protein or you need to switch diets entirely or whatever the recommendation from the nutritionist is, it's more important than saying, wow, my body started failing. I was at practice. Now I had an acute you know, ligament issue or had a major thing that took me away from the game that I love. So, and as you mentioned, you figure out maybe two nuggets eight of them didn't pan out, but you're still two nuggets better. And if you do that over the course of a career, that can be extremely powerful. Yeah. I've actually really appreciated your guys's update on the ability to edit tags. That's a big time thing for me right now. So thank you guys for updating that. I will um, update Chris. No, <laughs> that's yeah, great. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the other piece was you mentioned we had a player who was vegan and she simply uh, was willing to try eggs and all of a sudden like, improvements went way up you know and so uh, I, I ended up hiring her she's one of my assistant coaches right now and she's absolutely awesome if she's listening her name's Sarah Smeevog but full vegan full yogi 
uh, wasn't maybe the most into strength training before, and then is super into it. And she lifts with our team every day. Uh, and she is absolutely crushing uh, the weight room right now still. And so it's this just fun experience for her and I to kind of go through this iteration at the very beginning at LMU. And the team so far has been just lights out. They're working, they're working their butts off. They're getting stronger. And the coolest part is, is we can show them all their, you know, their line graphs and all that stuff is just super exciting. Because again, going back to earlier um, in our talk, I think people are happiest when they know they're getting better. And when they know that their time is being used in effective ways. And right now, like LME volleyball is getting stronger. Well said. And I think the result spoke for itself is that you ask them to do all these things and the weight room can be a little intimidating and a little confusing. It's kind of this black box. There's loud music. Everybody's yelling, but does it actually mean I get more blocks? Does it actually mean that I'm healthier? Does it actually improve my hitting percentage? And I think you were able to find the metrics that helped drive in the intentionality and, and show that you can actually, you're not your full form yet. You can actually get better. And, and your application to the individual development was incredible to watch. And so I wanted to kind of take that into the next part. And not only did, like we mentioned on the individual development, you started using this for practice. And so you started bringing it, testing pre and post practice, plus strength and conditioning was doing it before every exposure, any, any training dosage. What was that what inspired you? And then what were some of the, the things that you noticed? Because again, that is pretty atypical to get three different assessments from different points of time and really capturing pre and post practice effect on the system. Yeah. Um, wow. Uh, learned a lot, you know, uh, learned a lot about, Hey, if we finish six on six, like the odds that we're actually, uh, and it's competitive and it's a little chippy. I, I like my gym to be a little bit chippy and, you know, I'm good if they're talking a little smack in the net, like I, I kind of like that. That's, you know, probably a, you know, we referred to Al Skates. That's probably uh, stemming from just learning how to compete a little bit and have some fun every day. Um, you know, but what we found was either there were days where our warm up clearly wasn't good enough um, to be jumping at that point. Uh, and then number two on the back end is if we just found six on six or just finished six on six play and it was super competitive, we were jumping probably higher. Um, however, um, we were, uh, significantly worse on our landings and that's where the majority of the time we started to see our breakdowns. And, you know, as a volleyball coach, um, your greatest fear is the landing, right? Cause that's where a lot of, um, season ending injuries tend to happen. Right. And so, uh, we had to dial into like, okay, like what, what's the right training volume uh, on a regular basis. And there's going to be days where it's going to be a little higher and like, yeah, we're going to expect to see that. Cause literally you're, when you're training, you're just causing trauma to your muscles. Like that's it. Right. And anyone that tells you differently, like, uh, I don't know, like this has been my experience with it. And so when you cause enough trauma, like your landings are going to get significantly worse and then you're at a greater risk for injury, you know, and the greatest um, attribute that you can have for your team is to be available all the time. And so, you know, as coaches, I think we have to take a little bit more responsibility on measuring those things and um, learning about how um, how we're planning practice, how it impacts them on a day to day basis. We get a lot of people talking about load monitoring. And so load, whether it's via GPS, whether it's different means, it, it means a lot to a bunch of different people, but there isn't really a clear consensus consensus on okay, I'm the sport coach, what do I do? Typically it's the data scientist says our load is high. Yeah. Stop that. And stop that is really frustrating to sport coaches because we want to go. We want to 
practice hard. And did you find that it was a duration of like, so think of duration as time and then like jumps per minute, or was it the intensity that actually a 30 minute six on six would have a similar impact as say, um, 45 minutes of a really, uh, intense blocking, just technical drill. How did that X, Y kind of filter out? And did you really see, was it the landing started going to hell kind of eroding or was it a quick cliff and then to jump heights come down? Cause I think we've talked about this before. Everyone says jump height, jump height, jump height. It's the jump landing that ends the career. It ends the practice. So now suddenly we're talking about two different bar charts moving through time. How did you visualize it? And what, if you had to guess, what were some of the trends that you, you're going to continue to study? Yeah, I think, um, gosh, what's one of the features uh, that is in the analysis portion, the comparison report. Uh, yep. And so we were able to filter out pre and post like we had kind of talked about earlier and uh, just identifying a couple of key metrics. And if it was, you know, greater than, let's say, 8% difference from pre to post, like we know we probably pushed it and we overtrained a little bit. And if we were in 5%, like that's when we felt pretty good. You know, like that was a good amount of training and that they're going to be able to recover um, effectively before um, the practice the next day. Uh, and so I, I think that's a very general uh, broad stroke on the comparison report. Uh, and at the end of the day, it was individual too. you know, and the people that had a super tough day, the people that maybe were going through something personally, like um, training impacted them significantly different that day. Uh, and again, that refers to, hey, you're still working with people and they have other things going on in their lives and you need to be able to account for that. Or it also gave me a platform to ask like, hey, how are you doing right now? Like, it, it seems like something's going on and uh, and maybe I wouldn't have noticed uh, one way or the other um, if, if I didn't have the data from the plates on like, hey, like I need to do a check in and make sure you're doing okay. And how's your mom doing? And how's your bro or how's your sister? Um, and And so... That, those sort of things that really helped me with as well. But how did you balance though, when you had, you had a great staff under you at, at San Jose and, and continue that now at LMU, how do you deal with a younger coach or a position coach? They got to do their job. So when the head guy or the head head coach, head lady is saying, no, you, you're shutting them down or you're doing that, you, you run out of training time. So how did you find that balance of letting them do their job versus you're coming in 5%? Well, let's go for 6%. Let's go for 8%. It's not going to kill them. Like, let me do my job. How did, how did you balance that? Cause I do think any of the monitoring tools become tough. Cause suddenly now it's not, we're going to do Tuesday's practice. You got to be accountable for every individual that's working within your position group or within your practice. Cause like you said, everybody's responding to that same practice An easy practice for someone might be the final straw for someone who had to hike up the hill to go to lab and didn't eat and skipped breakfast and stressed out and has stuff at home. How, how do you as a head coach find that balance? Hey, man, when you figure out the exact right answer to that question, you you go ahead and let me know and write me an email. <laughs> but I mean, ma managing people is um, the hardest part of being a coach, especially collegiately, I'm sure professionally as well. You know, and um, you know, I think it's just important to paint the big picture as the person in the chair of, hey, like this is going on. And this is how we need to adjust. And this is how we need to do an intervention in this case. And um, you know, I had two unbelievable assistant coaches at, um, San Jose and, uh, Taylor and Delaney Gregory, and, you know, they were on board with it. I also invited them to all of our performance talks, uh, and they were willing to join, or if they had stuff to do and 
you know, they needed to, you know, prep for the match that week, then that's what they were doing. Um, but they got a lot out of just listening in on the conversation between, you know, you, Brandon and Steph and I on like, Hey, this is what this means. This is an indicator. This is a yellow flag. Hey, this person's doing great. This is like all green, all go, you know? And so, um, I think it's, I think it's just a factor of trying to invite people on board and, um, like, Hey, this is why this is important. And then prove that, Hey, like this is working for us as a group right now. And, um, let's continue, let's, you know, kind of double click on this cause it's going so well and let's see how good we can be at the end of the year. And sure enough, we did that enough times and had, you know, a bunch of people, I think we had eight of our, uh, maybe 15 travel roster, uh, in the mountain West, uh, championship game, um, PR before the match. And that was after playing, uh, the day before. You know, and so like that's, you know, a pretty good indicator that you're getting a lot right at that point. If you're, you know, you have eight PRs and it's also an indicator that their bodies are going to have a different um, just hormone response to playing in that championship game. Like that match is different as much as I'm going to talk about playing every point the same and every point is valuable. And, uh, you know, you guys have heard this uh, every play, every down, you know, um, but there's something different about being in that type of a match. Uh, and there's a different just bodily response. Yeah, and I, th I think you did such a good job. You know, that that end game, sometimes you get the outcome you want, sometimes you don't. But that end game was such a great testament to how you started day one implementing something. And, and you started so small. I think often that gets overlooked when people talk about whether it's our product or any of the sports technologies. It's like throw everything else out. This is the holy grail. And, you know, this is the new way forward where we started with just a couple concepts and then built from that and it built momentum. And you could actually watch you get involved, your support staff got involved, then the players got involved, then the position. And so it got to the point where it was what it was supposed to be, which was a language that, yeah, if, if your power output's tanking after every practice, eventually that strategy is going to result or that output's going to result to you not jumping as high and, and you're going to shift your weight or all those different components, but you didn't blast, you know, this stuff and people like right, right in front of them every time and make them have to accept it as gospel. They had to earn that and they had to buy into it. And I thought that was so well done and coaches that are listening. And we will say it to you a thousand times, start simple. Your frequency is more important than doing 20 tests, 30 tests once a year, getting it into that point. And, and those conversations at the plate, you mentioned people, what did I get? I went and got treatment today. How did that impact it? I think that's a really interesting self-ownership for athletes to say, wow, I'm actually in control. That ice bath really did work and it resulted in this. Plus I had a great practice. And I mean, what is it? Something like a hundred off season lifts. That's yeah. a lot of touch points for a coach to help buy in culture and, and instill that um, into their, their training. Or it can just be that really scary thing of, oh no, I hope my vert's not down. Coach is going to sit me because you made it very clear. You had to earn your spot at practice, but at the same time, someone had a bad day. It wasn't punitive. It was always, okay, well, did you use all the tools? And I thought that was just so well done and a testament to the program you built and continuing to build here at LMU. Yeah. Again, um, the people really matter. Right. And we had a phenomenal uh, performance team at San Jose and uh, we have that here at LMU. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's not a secret, like when you're improving and, um, the, the team is into it, uh, and they enjoy being at lift all of a sudden, and they enjoy pushing themselves a little bit more and they're willing to grab a little bit more weight and they're willing to do all this stuff because they know it's working. 
right? And like, that's, there's so much value in that when they know they're making progress and they know they're becoming, they're um, closer to the best version of themselves. Like, I think that's exciting for them. You know, it would be for me if I were in their shoes, no doubt. Now, flashing forward, you got your developments on par. You got LMUs getting wired up here for a great off season of development. Let's talk recruiting. What are some of the things that you've seen? You don't have to give away any secret sauce, but what are some of the things that you're finding? Because I know in our conversations, you are starting to see some things on the plates that line up to with what you're seeing and not only how high they jumped, but how springy they jumped or how coordinated they were. How are you finding that? And then what are, kind of, what are some of your thoughts about using the data from uh, the plates, either yours or as individuals test? What are some of the things that you're seeing and thinking about for recruiting? Yeah, I think um, there's two major things that I, I would look at, and that's um, just peak power, um, number one. And then, uh, like, obviously, I would hope to make progress on that number. But if they've been in this super dialed in strength program, knowing that my progress is going to be a little bit less because hopefully they're a little bit more developed, you know. But if they're already producing, let's say, 4,500 watts um, on the plates and they haven't touched a weight, it's like, that's the kid. You know, like that's the one that I that I really need to pay attention to. Uh, the other piece of that is modified reactive strength index, um, which is quite simply, if I were to drop you, are you a tomato and go splat? Or are you a bouncy ball and, you know, jump right back up? Then I'm still in your thunder there. So you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like, that's not something that necessarily changes over time, uh, right? Like that's uh, a little bit more of, you know, um, your makeup as a human. And um, I tend to like bouncier um, athletes that are quick off the ground and have bigger windows, you know? And so that was a really cool tool for us to like verify, like, yeah, this kid is very bouncy and it is a different level of um, athlete that is, you know, um, compared to their class or compared to our current roster or this or that. Um, you can compare it to a bunch of different populations within the software. And so, um, those, those, I think, were the uh, two main things. Um, you know, when you saw someone that was coming back from an injury, whether it was knee or ankle, it's becoming more and more common. Like you could definitely give them a hint like, hey, maybe you shouldn't be playing this much volleyball right now. Like uh, you've got some red flags here, you know, and hopefully uh, help educate them and help get them back into um, a strengthening program to get them closer to within 5% on each leg or whatever it might be. And so that was another cool thing that I wasn't expecting um, to happen or um, something like that from measuring during our camps. Yeah. And I think that what people need to understand is that all of this was in the context of, are you 5'10"? Yeah. But five, I think that's what often gets overlooked is that your tolerances for each one of those things. And as you mentioned in power development and whether you use power or impulse momentum or any of the composite scores of propulsion, um, you, you have a certain cutoff. And as you mentioned, you started noticing that 4,500 ish is where you start having conversations. So at 1000 or 2000, that may be a stretch. They might have to be hyper-skilled. And I want to say that because sometimes people say, well, Oh, you know, what about Rudy? Sure. Um, but Rudy didn't win a national championship and Rudy's a cool story, but you have to be able to give your strength staff something to work with. We joke all the time. We're strength and conditioning coaches, not magicians. And I think that sport coaches need to understand that expectation. As you mentioned, the MRSI, will it change? Yeah, sure. It could change a little bit, but when we start talking about cohorts, someone at a 0.9 isn't developing from a 0.2 and in certain positions, say offensive line, you can be a little more forceful than you are elastic. And so trying to dial in with 
your middles, your outsides, your liberos. And we haven't really talked a ton about that. That's a unique position where they're really not, yes, they're power based, but they're not in the same level as what you'd want in a middle or even an outside hitter has a longer approach than a middle who might have to have fast feet. So you as a sport coach really need to dive into what are your numbers by the position, but then also classifying it out by those kind of non, you know, non-mutable traits like height and wingspan, hand size, all those things. That's how you build your composite. And I think it's incredible to see what you've done and continue to build. Yeah. I think there's no gauge for how good someone's vision is, right? Like I can't, find a way to measure that on the force plates you know unfortunately when you guys do you know i'll be a customer okay because you know I, i'll struggle with that but i think there's also a reality of if you bring in someone in that's you know producing 1500 watts that's probably a recruiting mistake and that's on me <laughs> that's not on the strength coach or the trainer trying to develop them to produce you know 4500 or anything like that you know that's a, that's a mistake by me and I have to be, if I'm being real with those, with that group, then I have to be real with myself and take that feedback. Like, yeah, that was, that was a whoopsie, you know? Um, and so uh, there, there, there's no gauge for how good someone's vision is, uh, whether it's attacking vision or uh, ability to track a float serve and serve receive or anything like that. You know, um, I, I think in a perfect world, I'm trying to push each profile of the position forward on like, Hey, like what if we take a little bit of a risk on, you know, this person who is a superior athlete um, and see if we can really dial into the training of the vision, you know, cause at the end of the day, like that's a huge piece of our job as sports specific coaches, you know, and if, if we get to a point where we're just out athleting people, sorry, that's not a verb, but you guys know what I mean. Um, then, then we'll be in a real good place. I think, you know, uh, going through conference play, there was always a play, um, an action that happened, you know, at 19 all, let's say, you know, and we're, we're playing just average and it, the other teams in it, it's 19 all. And then something would happen where, you know, we would just go like over the top of the block and down in front of the middle back. And it's like just this kind of dumb play that would happen. It's like, yeah, we're better than we're better than we've been playing. And we're going to show you in this action right now. And then we would take the set. You know, and so we got to a point where that was happening a lot. And that's a really cool feeling as a sport coach. You feel like you're really um, dialed into the performance side and, and um, systems wise, you're, you're figuring out how to get the most out of everyone. We all we often get asked what's good and everybody laughs. Well, you know, it depends. In reality, whatever your room is, whatever your position group is, if you're recruiting better than the average, that's good. Yeah. And then as you develop your current group, that average goes up, you recruit higher that goes up. And so suddenly over a two, three year period, you don't just recruit someone off the street that can start on your team. Hopefully that's the goal of every coach is to have your juniors and seniors be kind of their final form. And that a, a first year is looking at, Oh, I got to develop. I got to work on my skills. Um, but if you're turning a program around, you might have some younger players that are just, like you said, more athletic. It's yeah. also important to know for your key. And, and I think this can't be overlooked either. You might have players that are glue players, that are just good at bringing the team along. And it's so critical to know not to what to make them better because they might not ever be the best athlete, but what is the number I got to really make sure that this physiologic person, physiologically, this person doesn't fall below so they get hurt. Because we do see that, as you mentioned, practice is faster. People are jumping higher. Um, the reaction times are getting quicker. And for someone who has to redline that just to keep up, knowing where those numbers are, I think can really help some of your 
instrumental program players that may not be as gifted, but have incredible vision, technical skill, and people will run through walls for. So I don't want that to ever be overlooked. And I, I think you hit that on the head of that. There's these other elements that we need to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. And I I've been lucky enough to coach a bunch of those players too. And, you know, right now, uh, one of those people on our current roster is Issa. Uh, and she's just this incredible person that brings everyone together. Um, but the coolest part is as we've, um, you know, dive, dove into the strength side and allocated more of our time towards that. Like she's also um, had a ton of improvement, you know? And so now she's becoming this, you know, better athlete than hopefully she's ever been during her career, but she's still like this total glue for a lot of people uh, and for the program. And her impact on LME volleyball is something that is going to go on for a really long time here. And I'm so excited to get to coach her um, going forward. Yeah. And I, and I just, I think it'll be interesting to watch again. There's a recipe, you have a roadmap and plan in place and and we're so blessed to be a part of that. And just to think to, for anyone listening, realizing this is the kind of journey that we talk about, what we shoot for is to have the relationships, build up the education, the experience of using the plates, but more importantly, integrating it into your practice, not removing your practice, not trying to change the way that you've done things, but just enhance it or give you a little extra of you, like you said, give you that yellow light, give you that red light to be able to then make an action because any technology out there is about providing more information. It can't prevent an injury. It just can't. We know that we've seen it. And, and I think that's so important to understand in the best case scenario, it is a language that you can facilitate conversation to make change, to ultimately take care of the athletes. I think, you know, you mentioned you had a great year, you had great success. You also had a lot less injuries. And I think why I say this is it's important to know they're not mutually exclusive. The best way to get rid of injuries, sit on your couch and get diabetes. Don't move. Don't ever move. That's that's the best way. Injury prevention. However, you're not going to win a lot of games. And so then you have like reckless overdo it and everybody's falling apart. Somewhere along that curve, you have this happy medium where, yes, we're playing the sport. Yes, we're being active, but we're doing it with caution and, and to get those results. I don't care if nobody's <laughs> nobody's injured, but we didn't win a game. That's not great. And then conversely, you know, we don't want to win a championship, but then people are Maul, how did you go about doing that? And what do you foresee moving forward with kind of integrating that into your practice and building on, you know, now year two of using this in your coaching? Uh, I mean, I look at replicating a lot of what we did in year one um, because, you know, we had such success there. Uh, and I've told our strength coach, our performance team uh, overall, it's like, hey, if we need to adjust the volume here because we see a consistent group of yellow flags, uh, it's going to come from the volleyball. You know, and we are going to take Wednesday off out of the gym and we're going to have a wellness Wednesday and we're going to train Monday, Tuesday. They'll have a little break. They'll get a lift in on Wednesday, but they'll have a break from the gym. Um, and then we're going to train Thursday, Friday, you know, and that's it. And if I if that means I'm in an eight hour segment for the entire spring, then that's what we're going to do because we're going to get stronger. We're going to build more resilient bodies um, that at the end of the day are going to be a heck of a lot better off and come August, uh, and come our first competition because we invested this time and adjusted their volume down on the volleyball side. The reality of the collegiate game on the women's side, especially is that all of the people that you're coaching in college are closer to the end of their careers than they are the beginning. And that's a really like strong reality that we need to come to terms with um and say like hey their foundation for how good of a volleyball player they are has been laid 
And yes, like we can make these tweaks and we can hopefully help them improve their game and become more efficient volleyball players and help them serve this way or had, add another shot or do this. But we're we're sprinkling over the top. We're like Salt Bay over the sake, you know. Uh, and and so I, I think, um, I don't know, sometimes uh, us as sport coaches, we overestimate like how much of an impact we can have if we get to coach them, uh, you know. But really it's the combination. I think when you're in the sweet spot of, athletic training, your strength coach, and your sports specific coaches. If those three are working all together, then you're going to have a significant impact, whether you're coaching a transfer for six months and they get to experience that for six months, or you're coaching a freshman who's going to redshirt and they're going to, you know, hit the ground running in their second year because of how you guys communicate and, and how you guys talk about, um, as you said, uh, or, or having a common language um, about the data that you're learning. Well said. Now to close out the episode, I always like to kind of finish with this question is that you've learned a lot in your career. You've learned a lot in the last year. If you could go back to uh, that kid in the car driving to TCU and you said, you know, it's day one coaching, what would you go and tell the younger version of yourself that you've kind of learned and break it up maybe into two or three things that you wish you had known when you started? The, the first thing that I think of is um, as a player, you have so much control. You know, a lot of say in how you're getting your body's prep for practice and, and how you're training on a day-to-day -day basis and how, you know, you're recovering or, or, fill, or even like how you're filling your social cup, you know, cause I, I'm not like uh, opposed to the discussion, like, Hey, college is social should be fun. Like you should have a couple nights that you're going out and enjoying yourselves. Like I'm all in on that concept. Right. Um, but you just lose that when you put on a coach's hat and there's significantly less, you know, and I think I, I overall, like that's number one It's just, uh, you have a lot less control than you did as a player. Right. Um, number two, hmm. when I feel like I'm at my best as a coach, I'm doing a lot less of mandating things and a lot more of trying to get them to want it for themselves and creating a sense of autonomy. And the language of that is really tough. It is a huge adjustment to make as uh, coaches to say, Hey, you know, you got to do this. And it's so simple because, you know, for so much, like that's what we were told our whole lives. Like, yeah, get your elbow up or, you know, do something weird with your hand. I, I don't know. Like there's X number of examples of that. Right. But there's a difference of that feedback loop versus, hey, you know, maybe if you tried this, it would lead to this more often. And giving them some sense of choice in all of that um, is a really big deal to me. It's really important for our staff um, to continue to um, try and evolve uh, what that looks like at a higher and higher level every year. Um, but I think those are the two main things. I know you asked for three, but that's what you're getting from me. Awesome. Well, Coach, thank you so much <laughs> for coming on the show. Uh, this has been great. I could obviously talk to you for, for hours and hours because I think the way that you're applying modern technology with old school training is is pretty incredible. And I'm sure, like I said, LMU is going to see some pretty great results here in the upcoming season. Um, if we have coaches that want to find out more, ask you some questions like I, I do, uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you or reach out to you? Because uh, we often do get a ton of questions after each show. Uh, yeah, my email is on my website. Uh, it's not my, I will admit it is not my personal email. Um, it goes to our staff email and that'll get forwarded to me. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure that they 
they do that. And so I think it's LMUVB underscore recruiting um, dot, uh, dot com or something like that. Um, but that's the best way. Uh, also, uh, if you want to shoot me a DM on Instagram, it's just Trent Kirsten, very creatively named. Um, so sorry for the lack of creativity there. Um, but yeah, more than happy to get in touch and to help. Um, if you're in our conference, you might not get a reply. Sorry about it. Awesome, Coach. Well, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks.